Uh, my name is Nicholas George Littlemore. I am 45 years of age. Uh, I started music when I was about 13. We got signed to a deal as part of Pinyao. Um, that went on for, I want to say, most of high school. Um, and then we got signed on to Warner Brothers. Uh, I started another band around that time called Teenager. It took a long time to get together. Um, and then um, I met Luke Steele around that time who was releasing his first album, which was called... We don't have to do the whole thing. <laughs> I was going to say, this um, is the interview. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, yeah. Hi, it's Nick from Pinal. <laughs> it's perfect. I sorry, love it. Sorry. No, it's almost like you know those KO Sport minis. That, you know, if you if you can't don't have time to watch a full sports match, oh, right. you can watch like a three minute <laughs> clip of it. So that can be the uh, the introducing mini with Nick Little <laughs> And then if you want to hear the whole chat, stick around. Lift the room. Push your pull. Welcome to the next episode of Introducing. How you going? Hopefully you got a chance to uh, have a listen to my chat last week with Dan Sultan. As I mentioned, it was uh, his proudest work, really, to date. Um, his self-titled album coming out August 18. It was so good to catch up with him again. So good to see him in such a good space. Hopefully you got a chance to have a listen because it was a nice chat. Um, speaking of nice chats, I've got one for you here. And I know I say this all the time, but... I'm genuinely excited about this. Um, I caught up with Nick Littlemore from Pinyao, from Empire of the Sun. He just played Splendor in the Grass on Sunday. Yes, I was there. It was a great set. <laughs> um, oh, you're going to love this chat, honestly. Um, he's based in Hollywood now. We'll talk about the, uh, the the Megastars house that he's taken over and why he's had to sage it. Um, we'll talk about Samba Nova, Pinyao's debut album, which uh, also won the Aria for Best Dance Release, but then was taken off the shelves. Hmm, Why? Uh, we'll talk sampling, AI, um, synths, um, going to raves uh, with Pete from Pinyao since the age of 13. Uh, Empire of the Sun's got some new stuff. He's uh, he working on that. He'll tell us about that as well. And, of course, the moment that that phone call from Elton John changed everything. Oh, yes. And we'll talk about Cold Heart as well. You'll love this. Please enjoy my chat with Nick Littlemore. Lift the room. Push your pull. Mate, lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Um, we were just talking off air. Hang on, as I untangle my headphones. Um, Splendor in the Grass. You guys are well. That's well. You're closing the festival on the um, in the mix up stage. I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah, the dance tent. This dance is the tent. first time we've closed a tent. Yes, uh, Splendor. We've been there. We went the first year. Splendor happened. Yeah. Uh, it was my agent at the time was put on Splendor, and then she sort of moved out of um, booking bands and just did Splendor full full time. Yeah. As you know, it's grown to be the greatest festival in. Australia. Yes, it is. Um, props, of course, to Ken West and the Big Day Out, for which it would not have occurred yes. if it wasn't for the champions of Big Day Out. And then, of course, Homebake. And I loved Homebake. Yeah, Homebake was a wonderful <laughs> yeah. festival and it should really come back. It really should. You know, um, and especially that there are so many conversations now, even prompted by Azalea Banks, yes. about the lack of Australian music on Australian radio. And uh, I think Homebake was such a, f a force for good in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And I think most people would agree. Well, because well, you, you would know spending so much time in other countries, that, uh, AKA overseas. Like w I, I was at Glastonbury last year and we've got bands like Emil and the Sniffers who are just drawing huge crowds. Like we are, we are world class. We've always been world class, but it feels like we have really stepped it up. It's, it's a really cool moment right now because uh, we're not sort of one sound. We've lots of different sounds yes. going on and they're just killing all over. You know? yeah. Look at Napalm. Like she just kills all the time. Yeah. You know? It was funny though, because so when you're closing Splendor and obviously Mumford and Sons will be on the main stage, mm -hmm. I remember at a V, I've told this story a few times before, but I thought you'd like it. Um, uh, I was at V Festival, one of the 
short-lived V festivals and Smashing Pumpkins were closing the main stage, but the presets are in the dance tent. And three songs into Smashing Pumpkins, you hear my people. And and obviously it felt like 10,000 people just gravitated toward that. And Billy Corgan just looks at us and goes, go see your ecstasy music then. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Marcus Mumford will say that about you guys, but it's always funny to see, you know. I know. Well, it's, I, I mean, and that they're sort of on par in a way. Like the, you know, Smashing Pumpkins can put on a pretty oh, banging absolutely. show. I saw them just recently. On the, but, I've never seen Billy so happy. <laughs> right, but Mumford's is more chill. Like, yeah. So it's going to be an interesting. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very much like if you don't want banging techno. Yeah. This is a good alternative. Yeah. What? How will you set change? Do you think because you're closing a, a festival where people, for the most part, have been there for three days, and this is their last, their last little bit of energy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll deliver for we, you. Don't we worry. always <laughs> demand a lot of energy from our audiences, uh-huh. um, and they always give it. Um, yeah. This year we got some suits made um, from one of the Empire of the Sun costume designers. So low-key then. Very, very low-key. <laughs> and they are so heavy. So, and I jump around normally on stage, and I don't know what is going to happen this one, but we're like yep. Christmas trees jumping around, so it's going to be interesting. You're actually my first gig um, after lockdown. I saw you and the presets at um, on New Year's Eve. Oh, New Year's in Sydney. Oh, that's yeah. when I got COVID. Oh, did you? That was that one, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A lot of people got COVID there. The, our drummer went and got it for us. Oh, went and went in the crowd. <laughs> get it, get on, give me the COVID. And then he came back, said, hey, guys, let's all hug. <laughs> Thanks, right. Timmy. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Um, and, and, and so where are you based now? Because I feel like you're, you, you're a very international man, I'm you know? I'm currently based in Marilyn Manson's old house in... In Hollywood, Los Angeles. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, we're trying to desage it. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that trying to, trying to cleanse it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. It, yeah. Is. it was his last known residence before the FBI came in. Um, things changed for Marilyn. Yeah, right. I feel like every house in that area, that part of the world, would have huge. They all history. have crazy stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot, and you but you just don't know them. Yeah, you know. But, yeah. And star maps. Those cars are always driving around the neighborhood with yes. the open tops. Like. There's the house right near um, our house is the house that um, they shot Poltergeist in. Oh, wow. So, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's very That's about much the so. coolest one. Yeah, yeah. Us. Well, I had um, Luke Steele on the podcast a little while ago from his house, but in the mountains. In, is it Northern California? He's, he's kind of yeah. the opposite of you. He's- he was in Mount Shasta. He's now back in New Zealand, but yeah, he was in Mount Shasta in this beautiful property. Yeah, I saw some of it in, on the Zoom chat. His little uh, studio looked amazing, but yeah. he said the bears kept like eating his shoes and stuff. I'm like, I'd have to get out. But Luke, <laughs> Luke is a bit braver than your average person. I don't know. I was like, he told me about that. I was like, dude. <laughs> that doesn't sound relaxing to me at all. There's something about bears. And Australians, I'm like, no, 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 we know what bears are like this big. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This giant thing. Grizzly thing. Freak me. Especially out. with young children, I said, you have to make sure that everything is locked and airtight before you can relax. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Cocaine Bear on the flight over oh, yeah. here. Have you seen that? Thing? I have not. Yeah. <laughs> Don't watch it. Just do yourself a favor. Even on the plane. Normally, the plane movies, yeah, you yeah. give things a bit more credit. That's true, because yeah. the bears can't get in the plane very easily. But if one did, <laughs> can you imagine how much of a mess it would make? Domestic flying in America feels like it would be cocaine bear to me. Um, tell us about the new song Stars with uh, Bebe Rexa. Am I, pre- I, I, ne- I never Bebe Baby um, and Azuna. This uh, song came together actually. Sam made the backing uh, in lockdown. Yeah. The three of us were in separate studios and we we're just all trying to make stuff, uh, trying to do something better than Cold Heart. Yeah, good luck. Um, 
But that's what we're trying you to kind do. Of basically, for yourself there with that one now, haven't you? It's a, yeah, it sucks <laughs> like that. The same thing happened when we did Walking on a Dream. It was like, oh, cool. Yeah, we're never going to get any better, are we? So cool. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a weird wink. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a good problem to have. But, Absolutely, um, yeah. But stars came together pretty quick, and then we signed a deal with Sony in Germany, who opened up all these amazing doors. Hence, we got to meet BB and make yep. this song and Azuna who we never got to meet, um, who was, uh, I think, in Puerto Rico at the time. Um, and it was sort of hard to contact him. But obviously, he's come through massively on the record and it's been yeah. super cool. Yeah. But tell us about, let's go back to the start because it's called Introducing. I want to I know how it all began for you because you were saying you got to start making music and you even released your first album as, as a, a young teen, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it really started... Um, Pete and I were going to raves. Uh, he started before me at about 13. I started about 14. Right. And we'd sneak out and go to raves. And the music was so profoundly powerful. And I'm not a musician. I don't pretend to be. Um, what, do you, what do you class yourself as then? I'm a conceptual artist. I think okay. that's, that's the way I like to operate. Um, but Pete is very much a musician. And he came from guitar. I did learn a bit of piano, but I didn't. It's not, I'm not good. Right. Um, and we were going to raves and you know, hearing this crazy electronic music. My brother Sam, who's much older, was at university. He rented a synth from the uni and we went over for a day. And this thing was like a battleship. It didn't look like anything you'd ever seen before. Yeah. And sounded insane. And we went over and recorded a cassette full of just the most insane sounds. And the next day in art class, we just played it, much to the disdain of every student and teacher. And that, But that was really the start of just making these crazy sounds, trying to get... Close to what we're hearing in the warehouses. Yeah, right. And at the time, you could buy these synths for like $100 each. They were they were cheap at the yeah. time. And we would buy one and then we would sell that and buy something else and sort of a master collection of things um, that which we would do after school on weekends and um, just any time we could get, basically. And we didn't know what we were doing, but we just loved doing it, just messing around with sound and, um, you know, often quite high you know as kids are teenagers you know we smoke weed it's not a big deal yeah and um and what it did do was it allowed us to stay home and do it right um whereas a lot of other kids were going out and getting drunk and all that other crap and you're not very productive drunk and i can speak for on no <laughs> you're not because the next day you're not either you <laughs> no, know? no no you you're, lose a few yeah, days absolutely whereas we'd just go home and just work and work and work and make tapes and tapes and tapes and then we'd listen to the tapes i mean again our friends that weren't making music probably were pretty annoyed because that's all they were hearing <laughs> And what songs, was your friendship group like outside of just your room then? Well, uh, Peter and I actually enlisted two of our other friends to join the band so yeah. we could have more synths. <laughs> Not more social contact, just more synths. And then at some point they got wind of that and decided to leave the band. Right, okay. Yeah. So, and then at some point we um, we were going to buy another synth out of the trading post. Yeah, yeah. And these guys said, oh, you make music, you should bring a cassette up. And we were about 15, Pete and I. We drove up to the Blue Mountains. And these guys heard the track and they offered us a record deal. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and we signed to a – it was called Peking Duck. Yes. It was a tiny little label. Um, well, I think it was just us on the label at that time. As and tiny then, as it gets. And then they, they put together a compilation of a bunch of different artists and we were on that. Mm. It was called cybersonic.nest.au or something something like that, .os.com or something. Um, and we had two tracks on there, Anthropophagy and I want to say Frisk. Yes, it was. I did my research last night. It was Frisk. Well done. Um, and 
that was just so exciting for us. Like we'd actually had music in the real world. That was a you know the dream was just to do that. Yeah. And then the next dream was that we could have something released in France. Oh yeah. Um, because Pete Pascal, who was Creative Vibes, who Peking Duck was sort of attached to, they would go to Europe every year and buy tons of the coolest records coming out of Europe. And it was just as French House was just about to start. Yeah. So they came back with the very first French House record, which I think was an Etienne de Cressy thing, and it was this B-side of something else. He played it to us, and it changed our minds about music. It changed our lives. And then he brought us into his record collection. Now, keep in mind at the time, all we're listening to is the most futuristic techno. And he introduces us to disco. And we start to learn the correlation about, oh, right, this this techno that we're coming from Germany and stuff, oh, where does that come from? Oh, and it comes all the way back to black music. And then you start to get the origins of everything. And, you know, which I don't think a lot of kids these days are kind of doing that. No. They don't have the mentor, you no. know. But we had these mentors and we're so incredibly lucky. Well, there's no time for a mentor now. You've just got to content create now, it feels like. You're just smashing yeah. out things. And re- in, in a, I kind of always look at it going, in a weird way, I would assume if you're a young musician, it's great. But as you said, you're not really getting the knowledge. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And it's not curated. You know, the way someone that has experienced all that wealth of music, and Pete had like a 10,000 vinyl collection yeah. that he'd amassed over forever. And he understood all the music. He understood the connections between funk and disco and early acid house stuff and that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and that was really invaluable to us. And that's how we ended up making our first album. Well, technically our second album, but yes. the first album never came out. First album was called Fractal Geometric Spaces Made of Light. And that was a Goa trance, techno trance album. Did you? I think I, I read that you had said maybe the name had something to do with the fact that it never <laughs> was released. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> It's like, you know, Steven Spielberg said if the Shawshank Redemption wasn't called the Shawshank Redemption, people, more people would have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's like one of the biggest movies in the world now, but it apparently didn't do very well at cinemas because of its name. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. But, yeah. but your first proper album then, Samba Nova. Yeah. And um, that, that came together super quickly. But then you had to take it off the shelves though, didn't you as well? The day we won the Arias was the day they, rele- they removed it from sale. <laughs> Yes, and is that a sample? That was because of samples, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And what have you learned from that? <laughs> um, Everything. It's, you know what? I I always cite a kind of fifty cent approach to things, where he made that record, "Get Rich or Die Trying," and I think young guys and girls that are making records should learn from us. Yes, and it's it's the same that um, fine artists say, isn't it? It's like keep stealing. Until you get there. Yeah. And then you'll work it out. Yeah. And it's like lie on a job interview. Yeah, 100%. Because you got the passion. Yes. You work it out. Well, I have spoken to artists many times and I've asked what, what they think about um, people sampling the work and they're like, God, if it's good enough, go for it. Like, we listen to something and if it's great, we're very happy for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's shit, then don't do it. <laughs> but make it good at least. Right, right. Exactly. And there's just, there's something cool and punk about sampling. I mean, yeah. it's, I think AI might kill sampling entirely because now it'll be able to find the nymph of a second of a, a snare or a kick or something. And that's going to, you know, every record, well, maybe not now, but. The 90s and the noughties, yes. every dance record was sampled. And was that a back? I don't rem- remember it exactly, but there was a lot of there were a lot of blogs 
as well, not probably early 90s, but then when the internet started becoming a thing, before streaming took off, mm. a lot of people were sharing their mixes and their mashups on blogs. Right. And that was a real- And Bloghouse mo- and that blog house. Yeah, it was like a real moment in time. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was just sort of the way it was. Yeah. It was like you took all the ephemera and you put it back together in a different way. And yeah. That was, that was what a record was. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people doing it weren't necessarily very musical. They were more like me. Yeah. They just had ideas, but they wanted to mash some really strange things together and make it work. Yeah. And I feel like now a lot of the kids are much more musical. Um, they're spending more time learning about chords and harmony. And again, the internet is helping massively with this stuff, with all the YouTube tutorials. And now, now right now, you can do it with AI. Yeah. And you can develop chords... Uh, and melodies just by clicking buttons. And it, it is it, it arguably still very creative because you're still making decisions, mm. just not as many. Yeah. What are you using when, when you kind of, like when you get like a little bit of inspired, like a lot of like singers would be kind of just recording into a voice memo. But mm. are you, have you got something, I remember speaking to What's So Not on, and he goes, I travel so much. I have to have the smallest version of everything so I can, like, get an idea and I can just create it somehow. I uh, mean, I do do voice notes. Yeah. And I sing melodies when they come into my head. I mean, yeah. I'm a terrible singer, but I do that. But more for the technical stuff I'm talking about. Like, is there a way- like making records? Yeah, yeah. But if it's if it's a day, <laughs> yeah, I'll just go to a studio. Okay. I've gone to studios in most countries I've been to. Yeah, right. And, uh, like, I was just in Seoul the yeah, other day. Yeah, yeah. And I organized a session with uh, a traditional music ensemble from Seoul. No one spoke English. Um, so I got an, a translator for the six hours. Yeah, unreal. And uh, it was amazing. We made like five songs. That's so cool. Um, and I was t- conducting them and singing to them and they can't speak any English <laughs> and I can't speak any Korean. Yep. Uh, that was super wild. Um, actually, last week I, was, I did a gamelan orchestra in Bali. Uh, we had 14 players and I was on a synth and um, we were improvising and we made an hour's worth of um, music. I've been developing a chair with a friend of mine, um, meditation chair, uh, who's now currently in New York. And you lie down on this thing. There's 10 subs from your neck to your feet and it puts you into a state of uh, loving awareness. Um, so I'm composing music for that and that's part of the Bali thing, working with a bunch of different people with that. Um, this is this revolutionary design that my friend Ray Kelly has done. He's yeah, right. Genius. Um, last week, Joaquin Phoenix was in the chair and Oprah. And oh, wow. The owner of Starbucks. Like, all these people are <laughs> super interested in this thing. And it's, um, I think it's a force for good because it's really, it's really about calming. And is the idea to, to market those or to have? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, like either for wellness centers, but, um, they're not going to be very expensive. So, I think people will put them in their homes. Um, I need can, something like that. I can't sit still at the best right. of times. So. Uh, it's, people go <laughs> Please into email thing, me a link when they become available. <laughs> people go into these things. They have the best night's sleep they've had of their life. Yeah. Um, they're like 25-minute, 30-minute um, like meditations. And mothers with their babies go in these things. Yeah. And they just chill. Babies love it. So with all this happening, when you Pinyao and Empire of the Sun and and meditation chairs, do you have to compartmentalize things really? Like, are you like, okay, this is my week to do Pinyao stuff, or is that just? I really should do that because I get really confused by stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I don't name files well. <laughs> and, and actually, yeah, at least to anybody have a producers, <laughs> name files well because that's. Oh, that must be frustrating. You know it's in there somewhere. I lose I lose weeks trying to find a file and then I get high because in LA weed's legal. So yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. 
<laughs> what was the moment that really changed everything for you guys? Was it your self-titled album in 2007? Um, what, was it Empire of the Sun? When, when was there a moment that just some, you released something and your life is never the same again? I mean, I think there incrementally there's been numerous of those moments, but you know, I mean, meeting Elton John is pretty crazy. Yeah. Now that was around 2007, wasn't it? That yeah. was he was a huge fan of. I remember Wild Strawberries. Is, I I saw something that he was just obsessed with that song. Well, he came to Sydney. He was on tour, and he would always go to the record store. That's the first thing he would do when he yeah. go to any city. And he went and bought and Pinal Pinal, our third album, self-titled album, was sitting there um, on the shelf, and he picked it up. He loved it. And he went back and bought all the copies they had, and he sent whatever six to all his houses, yeah. and then then he sends them out to everyone he loves. Yeah. Um, he was having dinner with Tony Collette that li- that night, and Tony was is repped by our agent, and so it was just one of those kismet situations. Elton calls me the next day. I'm like in physio because I've stuffed my back up or something. And it's like, hello, it's Elton. I think that- Surely you think it's a that, prank radio radio stunt or something. Well, I, I, had, I had a sort of inkling because right. I think my agent said, oh, Expect Tony Collette. Answer this private number when it comes through. But I can pinpoint, I think that moment when he, you know, just that word Elton. Yeah. I think that was the moment my life changed forever. I had the exact conversation literally like last week with Jake Shears on the podcast. Same fucking thing. The then. exact thing. So I, th- I think the moment probably- Elton <laughs> came into my life, no, we need like a group therapy, not therapy, but you know, like all the people who have been touched by Elton need to come together and like fucking thank him again. A hundred percent. I just love. Well, I love that kind of. It's not about money or success, or it, it's really a, a, a through seeing young musicians and wanting to encourage them. Like even his work with Sam Fender, like just yeah. not not like like it doesn't even matter the genre. You no, know? no, no, he does not discriminate. No. Um, so then, he, tell us about Cole. But he worked it out. He yeah. worked out that the the way to longevity is music keeps you young. Yeah, you know? so 100%. Just stay in it. Yeah, don't go. Oh yeah, I, oh I, I grew up in the sixties. This is all I listen to. Like, no, no, Elton <laughs> wants newness. He's yes, fascinated by music and technology and you know life and everything about it. Yeah. So then, how, when Cold Cold Heart became a thing, how, how was that a a no brainer? Was that your idea? Was that his idea? It wasn't was my Dua idea. idea. I mean, I had. <laughs> Pete, Sam, and I were working separately because of lockdown. Um, I think I pulled up Sacrifice and started cutting a bit. Mm. And I just mentioned to Pete, oh, you should try something with Sacrifice. And then Pete just made it. 100% Pete did it. Yeah. And he's, you know, I've been with Pete a long time. We started working with him when we were 13. Mm. And um, I'm 45. Um, so I've been in a band quite a long time now. And this was the moment. This was like the greatest moment yep. he made this stunningly perfect piece of pop you know that will be around forever and the greatest moment happened only recently when elton was at glastonbury and the bbc referred to him as the cold heart singer <laughs> and i thought get fucked that is crazy he's no longer elton singer. john he's the cold heart singer <laughs> So, Splendor in the Grass this weekend, uh, what is next for you? I mean, it feels like there's something brand new every day for you, but what, what's the next uh, What's next for you? Are you doing more stuff with Empire of the Sun? Have you got more Pinal stuff in the mix? Have you got something completely crazy that's about to explode? we got all three. Um, so, <laughs> we've got a new song, uh, well, some, a bunch of new songs with Pinal. Yep. Um, one of which is insane. It's probably the biggest record we've ever done. 
It's like, forget about Coldplay. It's all, it's all over. <laughs> so there's that. We wrote that with um, a young singer who's currently based in the States called Nami, who is a living angel. Yeah. Um, who writes quite a lot of songs that you would know anyway. Um, that's unbelievable. That's an unbelievable record. Um, the new Empire stuff, it's just too emotional. I don't... I can't talk about that because it's it's going to fuck me up too much. It's the most. It's just going to. It's just like. It's incredible. Like we've been working so hard on this album for seven years, and we haven't like thrown away things. But we've made. We started in Tokyo. We did like a month there, and then we've done stuff for time in New York. I've done a bunch of stuff in Sweden. Luke was just in Sweden. Um, so we've been working closely with Max Martin's team, um, as well as everyone else. The McDonough brothers who are based in LA who wrote uh, Yoji's massive record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that record. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just super emotional. Um, it feels like it's all really coming together. Um, I always feel like the next thing I do is the only thing and I want to race everything else. And this is what it feels like to me. It's like, oh my God, maybe I'm starting to actually make good records. This Empire record's crazy. Um, obviously, Pinal stuff keeps going on. Yep. And I've been wanting to make an instrumental synth orchestral album. So I've been making that. Um, but I'm not very good. So I've, you keep saying that, but brought in the last 20 minutes of, would suggest otherwise. <laughs> well, like I, I have ideas for things, but I knew I needed to really bring people in. Yeah. So I've brought in all these co-composers. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Benny Bock, who did the last Weekend album. And I brought in Henry Hay, who did um, Bowie's last musical. And then I brought in Sean Ramprasad, who's a brilliant young string arranger from New York. Um, Justice West, who is... Well, I don't know, maybe the most gifted person I've ever worked with, um, who's a young guitarist who was Mac Miller's guitarist when he was 16 and he toured the world with Mac. Um, Justice West um, is like the future of music. And it's really daunting being with people that are like that, especially for someone who's really not that. <laughs> yeah. It's... Um, he can't do anything wrong. There's there's a few people I work with like that, but Justice is just so creative. It's it's really daunting. Uh, and the other one um, would be Ruben James, who is a jazz pianist from Birmingham in England. Um, we made an album together, like sort of weird esoteric stuff, but um, he makes his own records. We did a song with Roy Ayers recently for his record, which is super exciting. Um, Ruben and Justice, like those two are just... Infinitely inspiring for me. Um, and they're kind enough to give me the time of day to spend time with them, you know? Because um, I am not worthy. But um, it's really... To that record, that synth orchestra record, that's coming together. Um, I don't know if anyone will listen to it, but I'm really excited about it. <laughs> and you've just had a baby as well, just to oh, add yeah, to the yeah. mix as well. I just had a baby. <laughs> I know, I shouldn't be here. It's six weeks old. And there's Janya. She's so beautiful. Are they with you or are they at home? No, she's yeah. in Hollywood. She's yep. in Marilyn Manson's house. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, with the same. Fighting off the demons. <laughs> well, look, I can't wait to see you. Uh, you're set on on Sunday and uh, you never disappoint live, that's for sure. You're one of my favourite live performers. I, I love your stuff. And I, I feel like this would be particularly hard for you to answer because it's hard for most people to come on this podcast. But we like to finish every chat with you introducing us to someone that you're listening to. But um, you may have already done that with uh, with the roll call of names that you've just uh, well, listed. Well, I mean, 
I can go through there. Are, I listen to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to a lot of new stuff and that that's my bad, you know? Um, but it doesn't have to be new. I just, is something that you're loving. Okay. So, well, I recently rediscovered a record that, um, I loved when I was 13, 14, tripping my head off in a warehouse. Yeah. And that is a song called The Space Track. Okay. I'm writing this down. By Cosmic Baby. I like it already. And this one, this to me is like the embodiment of uh, trance music. And maybe the reason I make music is the feeling I get from this. There's some mysticism in there. It's quite dreamy. Uh, it's uplifting. Um, yeah, it may sound very simplistic if you listen to it. But I don't know. Just for me, it's like, that's it. I'll give it a crack. Uh, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate coming on. You know? I'm sorry I'm doing this. Not at all. It's been great. Thanks very much. Listen.